I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Broad Experience. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This time we talk about why women switch jobs less often than men and what keeps us in one place longer than we sometimes should be. And in the second part of the show, I talked to former Wall Street analyst and writer Whitney Johnson about women's formal and informal power and how she made the journey from music major to equity analyst. Quite a few listeners will know the company Etsy, especially if you're in the US. But for those who don't, it's an online marketplace for people who sell handmade and vintage products. Thousands of small businesses sell their wares through Etsy. The site has a huge following. And my first guest, Danielle Maville, felt really lucky to work there. Until she didn't. But even when she started to feel restless, about four years in, she couldn't bring herself to leave. Her job was to liaise with all the sellers who sold their goods through Etsy. So essentially, she supported them and coached them on how to better promote their businesses through the site. It was a very public role. My face was on blog posts, my face was in the forums, I led live workshops, I traveled and met sellers in person. Um, so people knew me as Danielle XO. I'd go to a craft show and... And just to be clear, that's your Twitter handle. Right, that's my Twitter handle and it was also my Etsy username. Um, and my admin name just was everything, Danielle XO. And I had just picked it out of the blue when I started at Etsy and that's who I became and you know was recognized as. So. I actually probably should have left probably a year, maybe more than a year before I did. And um, I just really couldn't imagine who I would be if I wasn't Danielle XO. And if I would have, if ever again I would be as important or as respected or listened to, really all of my, I don't know, my identity was this Danielle XO. So Danielle's whole sense of herself was bound up with her job. She struggled with the idea of leaving everything she'd built in her role, even though she no longer felt challenged or even felt she fit in that well at the company anymore. It had started off tiny and had grown massively since she started, and she was really much happier in a startup type environment. When she finally did leave Etsy, she was struck by how many of her female friends had similar tales. They weren't happy at work, but couldn't quite move on. She described this in a blog post she wrote last year as a new problem women have, the struggle to stay or go to the next thing. The reason why I say that is that I think, you know, men and women historically have been in one job for a very long time. So in terms of being a new problem, a lot of people now are changing jobs every few years, especially men. Um, but I think women are still still feel like they have to prove themselves in a career, they have to move up some ladder, and they have to win, and they have to be as strong as a man is, as good as a man is, and, and they equate that to being at in a position very long, and sort of, I feel like it's a, like a winning thing, like I need to, I don't know, it's like you never feel like, at least I didn't, I never felt like I had proven myself enough. Like I just... I felt like I still had somewhere to go. And it, it just, I think at the end, that was the most frustrating part was 
I actually didn't know where to go. And I wasn't given sort of a path, you know? So I didn't know what that next step was that I needed to conquer. I've heard plenty of anecdotal evidence like this about women staying in jobs longer than men. I've also heard it said that this is another reason for the pay gap, that women move around less so they have fewer opportunities than men to increase their salaries. But I wanted some hard facts. Terry Boyer is executive director of the Center for Women and Work at Rutgers University in New Jersey. She says in the early months of a job, studies show women are likelier to quit than men. This often has to do with family factors, like a situation that suddenly comes up to do with aging parents or kids. In those cases, a woman is likelier to step away from a new job to deal with a crisis than a man is. However, as women stay in a job for a longer period of time, they're less likely than their male counterparts to leave a job. Um, And I think there's a lot going on there. There's um, interesting information about job satisfaction and the external indicators of, is my job good? Is it, will I have another opportunity, et cetera? But then there's also this concept of the longer women stay in the labor market, they're, the lower their expectations are for what is a good job and what their chances are for finding another quote-unquote good job out there. So what is going on there? First of all, women tend to underrate their abilities and their um, worth, so to speak, in the job market. And men tend to overrate their abilities and worth in the job market. So when you put a job description in front of a man and a woman, their reactions are very different as to whether or not they feel they're qualified or would be competitive with it. And there are different studies that say, you know, if you give a list of 10 different qualifications, a woman feels like she needs to meet all 10 in order to apply for the job. And a man feels like, oh, I've met about six, seven or so of these, and therefore I can apply for the job. So, of course, when you're thinking about leaving a job, if you don't see a lot of jobs out there that you meet all of the criteria for, there's going to be a difference there in thinking of what's the next thing to move on to. As well as undervaluing their qualifications, she says, the longer women stay in the job market, the more they factor in children, how they're going to fit kids into their working lives. Terry says again, this influences their thoughts about where they work. They may think, I'm in a decent situation. Yes, it has its pitfalls, but that's okay because the job fits around the rest of my life and another job might not. Men are still less likely to think this way. And there's more. Listen to what Danielle Maville said when I asked why she had stayed at Etsy even as she became more and more unhappy. And I should add that Danielle doesn't have kids. Well, one big thing was that I felt like um, like I owed it to the company to be there. Like I... That sounds very female. Right. It's, it's a very female perspective on, on a job where I didn't want to let anyone down. I didn't want to let not only my coworkers, who were my family... But the community, I didn't want to let the community down. And if they were coming to look for me to say, I need help with this, and I wasn't there, like, that just, I mean, even now, I'm like, it gets me emotional. Like, it breaks my heart, you know? And I I don't know if a a man would ever be like, I can't leave this job. It would break my heart. I mean, maybe, but (laughs) you'd have to be a unique guy, at least to admit it. (laughs) Ah, loyalty. Terry Boyer of Rutgers says, on the whole, women are more likely to prioritize their relationships with colleagues and clients, and it's one more reason why they're slower to leave a job than men. I asked Danielle what else she felt was holding women back from taking the plunge. I mean, besides their own insecurities and fear, 
I do think that they're not supported enough by friends, family, other people in their lives to to take big steps, uh, big leaps. I don't know why that is, but the business coach that I was talking to when I wanted to leave Etsy, I was shocked that she said to me, you should leave, you know, because most people, when I had talked to my mother, when I had talked to my friends, you have a great job, you have a great salary, you have health care. Why would you leave this job? They didn't ask me if I was challenged. Given the state of the economy, perhaps it's not surprising she got those kinds of reactions because she didn't yet have a job to go to. But she wants to encourage other people to have more confidence than she did when she was on the fence and value all the experience they've gained on the job. So I think that's one thing that holds people back. They don't really put together all all that experience, all the ups and downs, even the mistakes you've made really add value to who you are. So keep moving, keep moving forward, and then you're going to actually be reaching another set of people. That's one thing that I didn't realize. It's like, okay, I am leaving this job and these people and these people that rely on me, but I'm going to be going somewhere else where I'll still have all this value and knowledge and experience and I'll find other people that will need me as well. It's okay to be needed. Which also struck me as something not a lot of men would say. I think it's okay to be feminine in the workplace. You know, to me, the downfall for me was I would take things personally and I would internalize and I would hold on to, you know, and, and that was not positive. But there's no way I'll ever be a masculine worker. And, and I am okay with that, you know? I'll cry at work. I'm okay with that. <laughs> just knowing that, uh, you know, just respecting myself and, and valuing myself, I think, was the, the big lesson for me. Danielle hosts a podcast called Creative Little Beasts, and she now works for a dog lover's startup called BarkBox. Whitney Johnson is also a creative type, but she ended up on Wall Street. She's a former star stock analyst and the co-founder of Boston investing firm Rose Park Advisors. She also blogs regularly for the Harvard Business Review on topics like innovation, disruption and women and work. And she's written a book called Dare, Dream, Do, which encourages women not to give up on having dreams about what they can achieve. We met in a noisy cafe at lunchtime in New York recently, and I asked her to tell me some of her story. I started off by quoting a line from Dare, Dream, Do that reads, Wielding formal power is impressive for women, given we're taught we're only feminine when we're giving something to somebody else. I asked her to elaborate. There's been a lot of research that's been done. Um, There's something called a BEMSEX inventory that says that you're feminine only within the context of a relationship or when you're giving something to someone else and that something can be time, it can be money, it can be praise. Um, And so what that means is that in any sort of context, you know, from the time that you're very young, if you're a young girl, for example, and you go to your mom or your dad and say, look what I did, there's this subtle message of, at that moment you're asking for acknowledgement and praise there's a subtle sense for girls of oh come on aren't you getting a little ahead of yourself whereas the boy were like you're right look how strong you are and so we're socialized over and over and over again to be a little bit ashamed of our dreams and ambitions and aptitudes and that they're not that important 
And so we still have this sense that we want to get things done, so we learn how to do informal power, how to persuade, how to be a helpmeet as you describe it. So lots of things get done, no one knows quite what we're doing, and that's good and it's effective and it's important, but in order to really get things done, we need to have in our arsenal both informal power and formal power. Having formal power herself is something Whitney came to in a very roundabout way. She grew up in California and graduated from college with a degree in music. So my husband and I, uh, we got married in college. After college, we came to New York because he was getting his PhD at Columbia University. I, um, and I needed to put food on the table because he had a very small stipend. I ended up being the one who was going to work. Now, the, the interesting thing was is that because we were in New York, I decided that I wanted to work on Wall Street. Um, but because I was a music major, I'd never set foot in an accounting finance or any type of business course at all. So I started as a secretary. But why Wall Street? She says as the oldest child in her family, she always went for what she calls the brass ring. At her high school, it was sports and cheerleading. Well, you get to New York and you think, okay, well, what's the brass ring here? Well, it's Wall Street. I mean, this is like late 80s, early 90s. It's Gordon Gecko. It's, you know, Tom Wolf, Thomas Wolf, Bombfire of the Vanities, Melanie Griffith, Working Girl. And so for me, I'm like, that is the brass ring. And so once I discovered it, I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to work on Wall Street. So she started as an assistant, but the competitive atmosphere at work got to her. She started taking night courses in accounting and business. And basically I stayed an assistant for about two year, two and a half years, and then I had a boss who was willing, because I was working really, really hard and because I was persistent, um, was willing to promote me onto the track of investment banking. And by the way, at this point, I was already 30 years old. I sometimes don't tell people that, but I think that's really important because I think sometimes we get into our late 20s and so many of us, especially in cities like New York, where we meet so many bright, intelligent superstars that are 22, we think it's over. For her, it was just the beginning, but it wasn't an entirely straightforward path to success. There she was at a Wall Street investment bank, drowning in testosterone, surrounded by guys with outsized egos and vast reserves of confidence. She realized as a budding stock analyst, she had a problem. When I first um, started analyzing stocks, I mean, the, the job of an equity analyst is to to build a financial model, do your, your research, which we call due diligence, and go out and meet with company management, and then and then analyze and value the stock and make a decision whether you think it's a buyer or a sell. Well, you know, notwithstanding all of the research that you do, there is a, there's a judgment call that you make that you think it's going to go up and down, up or down. And what was so difficult about this is that no matter what call I made, um, there was the risk that I was going to be wrong, number one. And even if I wasn't wrong, there was likely going to be someone who was angry with me either the management because I downgraded their stock or um, large investors because I upgraded it and they were short. Um, so, or the sales force who had been saying it's great and I didn't. So there was always going to be some type of conflict. And so initially it was very hard for me to put a stake in the ground and actually have an opinion because I'd learned so well as a female, in fact, that you please and you let people just listen. And this was like, I was naked. I have to have an opinion and I could be wrong and someone's going to be mad at me, 
and that was really an important thing for me to learn. And one of my favorite quotes that I say to myself is, my only safe harbor is my conviction. It took a while for her to feel comfortable in that nakedness, but she knew she had to get there. There's this sort of internal developmental piece that was really important for me, because one of my things in life is that I'm afraid of a lot of things, but the thing that I'm probably the most afraid of is being stuck. I don't ever want to be stuck. I need to always be moving forward. These days, she wears various hats, including writer, business advisor, and public speaker. You can read Whitney's posts on personal development and business at her site, whitneyjohnson.com, or at the Harvard Business Review blog. That's it for this week. The Broad Experience is a one-woman show. It's currently supported by Mule Radio Syndicate and by SoundCloud, but I'm looking for sponsors to help sustain the program, and that could be you. You can find out more information about this episode and the show in general at thebroadexperience.com. I'm Ashley Millentyke. Thanks for listening.